This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi-ya! Hi, this is Scotty Young, writer and artist of I Hate Fairyland, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break, it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 273, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 23rd. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on Twitter, where this week I've been rescuing turkey dinners and apologizing for my Huskers after that humiliating loss to Iowa. God. Oh, we lost, huh? Ugh, it was terrible. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, where I've been explaining the problems with our feed in quippy, fast-paced Gilmore Girls dialogue. And, of course, you can follow this doomed show at Two-Headed Nerd on Twitter. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Venom, number one, and AD After Death, book one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's comics while we search for woolly toots in the time stream during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We're having a little after-dinner drink with Volstag, the voluminous. Man, that is hard to say. Voluminous. Voluminous. And... Talking about a couple of next week's comics you should be reading. And finally, Joe and I review the most gripping, exciting, hardcore video game comic book adaptation ever written. Tetris. During our Take a Look, It's in a Book <laughs> segment. But before we forfeit our very souls and offer gifts of our own blood in exchange for extreme savings on this blackest of Fridays, let's gear up for one more war on Christmas where we'll be taking no prisoners this year and then we can talk about this week's big news we got big news remember last week when we talked about how no one cares about the inhumans anymore yes well apparently no one at marvel is paying any damn attention i don't i don't get it <laughs> the publisher will launch three new inhumans series spinning out of the upcoming resurrection event the Inhuman Royal Family will receive their own ongoing series called Royals by writer Al Ewing and former Teen Titans artist John Boy Myers. The series will star Black Bolt, Medusa, Gorgon, and Crystal of the Inhuman Royal Family, as well as newer Inhumans, Flint and Swain, never heard of them, yeah. and the Kree, and also Young Avenger, Marvel Boy. In Royals, the Inhumans return to space to seek out the remains of the Kree Empire and discover the truth about Terragenesis. In an interview with Newsarama, Ewing explained that the royal family is seeking the truth because the process is causing undesirable side effects. Quote, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of putting it mildly. Quote, let's just say that Terragenesis is not working out great the way it currently is. It's doing terrible things to the mutant population and it's roaming the earth as a giant cloud. I would argue it just doesn't make sense at all anymore. And really knowing more about it doesn't seem like that crazy an idea even if it does take the form of a giant space quest, end quote. Oh boy. Ewing also said that Marvel Boy would be a key player in the series, considering he comes from an alternate reality where he's seen all of this play out before. Huh? If you remember, in Grant Morrison's Marvel Boy a series from the early 2000s, right. Novar, the, cur the current Marvel Boy, right. is not from this 616 universe. His crew was traveling through the multiverse when he cr when they crashed. Oh, yeah, that's right. So he's not from this universe. Okay. And he has seen these events happen 
once before and he kind of knows. Isn't that convenient? Yeah. Uh, so he knows things. Next up is Black Bolt, who is receiving his first ever ongoing series. I'm going to say it's going to be light on dialogue. Yeah. Written by the Crescent Moon Kingdoms novelist Saladin Ahmed with art by Christian Ward. He's great. Black Bolt finds Blackagar Boltagon incarcerated in the galaxy's most dangerous prison. Worst name ever. Best name ever. Right? Best Worst name, superhero ever. name ever. Blackagar Boltagon. I love it. <laughs> Ahmed said, quote, it's very much a story that's intended to be new reader friendly, despite it being this kind of cult property. It's intended to bring in people who aren't necessarily massive and humans fans or even fans of Marvel continuity. So to a certain degree, at least at first, this book is not going to be bogged down by connections from all the other Inhumans things going on. Okay. That's pretty okay. good. Yeah, it's pretty good. But we're talking about Black Bolt here. Look, let's <laughs> give him enough. about a character that can't speak. Let's give him enough rope to hang himself. King of the Inhumans. <laughs> Finally, the Secret Warriors are making a comeback, courtesy of writer Matthew Rosenberg, who we like quite a lot. Yeah. And artist Javier Garon. The series will feature the team alum. I hate that term. I know. The series will feature classic Secret Warrior Daisy Quig Johnson, as well as fellow Inhumans Ms. Marvel, Moon Girl, Inferno, and Karnak. Moon Girl's companion Devil Dinosaur will also be involved, and according to Rosenberg, he won't be the only non-Inhuman featured in the book. I, I, okay. I don't understand. While... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just not even following this. While Royals will feature the Inhumans' journey into space, Secret Warriors will cover the Inhumans who choose to stay behind. Rosenberg said, quote, What we have with our Secret Warriors is a book that is sort of hard to define. No We actually kicked around a few different names for the series. I wanted to call it the All Winners Squad for a bit, but a lot of the intangible stuff that made the original Secret Warriors what it was also finds its way into our book. Okay, the original Secret Warriors had nothing to do with the Inhumans. Nothing well, at all. Well, except for Quake being in it. Daisy's not an Inhuman. She is an Inhuman. She is? Well... When did that happen? Okay. So, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. What? Her mom is an Inhuman. So this has... They just completely co-opted the TV continuity? Well, her... So her father is Mr. Hyde. The villain, Mr. Hyde. Right. And her mom is an Inhuman. So she is descended from the Inhumans. So according to Wikipedia, we all know she first appeared in Secret War back in 2004. She's the daughter of supervillain Mr. Hyde. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, she has been reimagined as an Inhuman. So yes, they but completely... But on the, on the show, her dad is still Mr. Hyde. So they've yeah. just kind of... I don't know if in the comics they were even addressed who her mom was. Probably So not, they've retroactively matched her to her tv counterpart which is fine <laughs> i hate it not that i have this like deep affinity for daisy or anything and she's a cool character and she's been gone for a while i'm happy to have her back i am officially not excited in any of this and i don't understand okay i don't get it i mean all right, all right. i know i always go back to sales i know i always do this i want you to guess where October's issue of Uncanny Inhumans, number 14, checked in on the top 300 chart. It's somewhere in the top 100. 114. Okay. It's not even in the top 100 in sales. What is Marvel doing? Nobody cares. Let's, let's actually look at this. Like The only reason we're actually mad about, the Inhum about Marvel's push of the Inhumans is that we felt that it was to the detriment of the X-Men. 
but it's not anymore. They're bringing back the X-Men in a big way. Yeah. So what's the problem with them also exploring this Inhuman stuff? Uh, well, because it's dumb. It's not that we, we hate the Inhumans. I don't hate the Inhumans. I hate what they have done to the Inhumans. I'm done with this terrorist. But this Genesis looks crap. like a complete new direction. The I'm, Inhumans are going into space. I guess. I don't know. I just don't care anymore. I love Black Bolt. I do too. But I don't care where they've taken the Inhumans in this story. And this seems like... Further moving along with this Terra Genesis thing, they became bad guys. They messed with mutants, and the the, the Terra Genesis thing is going to be over. They talked about that in the X Men announcements. The whole thing about the threat of the Terrigen Cloud is done. I like the idea of them going into space and dealing with space stuff. The Inhumans have always been very closely tied to that cosmic universe, but I also, you know. I, I just don't think the Inhumans can stand alone on their own. I don't think this is going to work. Well, definitely predict, three books seems like a, a, I a bit much. These are all gone in six months. I think Secret Warriors will probably last because it's got a bunch of popular characters in it, like Ms. Marvel. And the people are really into that new Moon Girl book. I didn't know Moon Girl was an Inhuman. Yeah, she is definitely an I Inhuman. I have no idea. Yeah, that's from the beginning of the book. I don't know. I, it just it's it seems more like the mutification, mutantification of the Inhumans trying to make me care about it. I just don't care. And I don't see this lasting. And this Secret well, I, Warriors team is just, what a weird group of characters thrown together. Well, they're, they're Inhumans. They're Inhuman characters. I know. But I, I also don't care about any of the new Inhumans. Inferno and Flint and all that. Like, I read a lot of the all new Inhumans book. And there's just nothing there. It, it's... All right, enough grousing. All three <laughs> books are set to launch sometime in early 2017. At the very least, we'll check them out. I hope that they're good. I don't want them no, to I'm be not bad. I want them to be bad. I, I want Marvel to. I want Marvel to succeed in convincing me that the Inhumans are cool. Let's get past this g- nonsense that's been bogging us down. How many years is it going to take? <laughs> they're going in a different direction. I I'm know, willing to see I where know. it goes. Let's talk about this blasphemous nonsense. Get ready, sinners! Writer Graham Morrison is bringing a brand new comic series titled The Savage Sword of Jesus Christ to <laughs> Heavy Metal Magazine, where he's currently the editor-in-chief. How convenient for him. Yeah, I didn't even know that happened. In an interview with Vulture... I think we talked about it on the show. Did we? Yeah. I don't recall sure. talking about this. In an interview with Vulture, Morrison revealed his idea for this new take on JC. It came to him while working on something called The New Adventures of Hitler, where he uncovered a Nazi project called Positive Christianity, which, quote, recast Christ as a proactive Aryan rather than a meek Jew. The title and physical look of the Messiah are inspired by Marvel's classic black and white Conan magazine from the 70s and 80s, which you may have picked up. Um, Savage sort of Conan. Why heavy metal, Morrison said. It just seemed too much of a gift, especially in light of heavy metal and heavy metal imagery to combine this notion of Conan and Jesus Christ. I would argue it's always been there, right? (laughs) (laughs) Art for these series will be provided provided by the Molen brothers who are known for their work on the completely bonkers and hard to follow The Aftermath, which I reviewed on the show. It their art is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Is it a heavy metal thing? It was originally in heavy. Well, heavy metal is putting out the monthly comic and it's a collection of stuff that they did for heavy metal. Morrison says his new series started out as a sequel way back in 1990, just after he finished the new adventures of Hitler with artist Steve Yowell. He said, obviously I have done a lot of research for that one. We're living in a time when it's quite clear how even the most pacifist stories or narratives that one time were a lot more positive can be perverted to stand in as catalysts for violence and mayhem, especially now that we live in a world where we've seen that lies can easily be overlooked. I wonder what he's talking about. I don't know. And where celebrity culture is more powerful than the truth 
and this is quite the run on sentence grant <laughs> and where people can quite happily twist any narrative to suit any new narrative and almost twist narratives into complete opposites which good god this is one sentence which is what the nazis try to do with the gospels he's scottish he is scottish joe patrick december 28th savage sword of jesus christ you're gonna be there for the midnight sale Boy, howdy. Uh, I've already pre-ordered. Look, we saw what he did with with Santa Claus, and it was awesome. Anything goes with Graham Morrison, it was, and I'll check it out. His Santa Claus was kick-ass. Yeah, it was good. Um, <laughs> I think it's a fun idea. Like, this art uh, that they showed for it at, with this ripped-up Jesus. Yeah, the Mullen uh, brothers are amazing. I mean, it's cool looking. It's going to get some um, press, I'll tell you what. I mean, but here's kind of where I get a little bit of a, where I take a little bit of pause. Uh, it's where he talks about all of this stuff about Nazis twisting this idea and doing this, uh, well, I think twisting he, this narrative to their own ends. And that's how it's such a bad thing. And here he is doing it. No, I think he's just saying that, like, he was inspired by how the they Nazis. tried to do that. Like this they, comic book was inspired they, by Nazis. They really did try and rebrand Christianity. I understand. And so he was like, yeah, let's let's do a story like that. I mean, that's just where it came from, you know. You heard it here first. I don't think he's saying. Graham Morrison is a Nazi. See, Kyle, those Nazis had a great idea. <laughs> we'll see, man. Like I, I'm not surprised by anything Grant Morrison decides to do these days. Yeah, I like Grant Morrison unshackled, personally. Yeah, so uh, it'll either be... Unchangled. Un, 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 unchangled. It'll either be super fun adventure comics or to be impossible to follow Grant Morrison. Yeah, blasphemous lunacy. So... <laughs> We'll see which which way the coin lands. All right. Got some real talk here, Matt. You guys may have heard us talking about the problems we've been having with the iTunes feed the last few months or experienced it for yourselves. Unfortunately, it's become pretty clear that there's no way to repair those problems. So that means there's only one thing left to do. A time-honored tradition passed from publisher to publisher through the decades and now down to us. Reboot! Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought it was a relaunch. Reboot! Or <laughs> retooling? A reboot. <laughs> a redux? Uh, we can call it a redux. <laughs> We're gonna, we, here's the deal. We got our asses kicked for copyright. It seems pretty obvious. We don't know. We I, don't even know is the problem. It seems pretty obvious. They don't like to tell you, but we were willy-nilly with some of our music, and I think it's biting us in the butt. Just, so just read the thing. We're going to go on hiatus after this episode, and one more answer of the week. During our time off, we are retooling the show from the ground up, from the music to the segments, even our website, everything. That might take a little longer, but it's coming. Uh, we're going to introduce a Patreon system that's going which we'll finally be able to give back to you guys for your years of support. If you are a PayPal donor, that's going to stick around too. You can do it either way; doesn't matter. What this all means is that the feed you're currently subscribed to will eventually give way to a brand new feed where we'll post the new shows going forward. When we announce the switch, you'll need to subscribe to the new feed if you want to continue to hear THN in your ear holes every week. It will be a brief inconvenience for everyone, and we're sorry about that, but we hope that you'll be willing to follow us to the new home. Don't start unsubscribing to things yet. Yeah, it's going to happen. I promise. And this is our fault. We were a little willy-nilly with some stuff, and honestly, this just means we got too big for our britches. That's a good problem to have. And now we want to take it to the next level. So in the long run, it's a good thing for the show and our ability to grow and reach new listeners. We are taking iTunes active aggression as an opportunity to take THN to the next level. We're going to take it to the limit, just like Strong Bad. 
Everything that you hopefully love about us is only going to get better. So stick around. Don't unsubscribe to anything yet. Like we said, there's going to be one more answer of the week after this episode. Maybe one more or two more other surprise little don't things. Say that. Don't I'm say just that. not going to promise anything. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. Don't uh, don't delete the feed. Yeah. And all these episodes will live on our website. They'll be there. You can yes. go back and listen to everything we did. We're going to post the official announcement. We'll record a little blurb when the actual new feed goes live. We'll post that on the old feed so that you get it in your downloads. Yes. Uh, when the Patreon page goes live, we'll do that as well. We realize, though, that none of this is ideal. We're confident, though, that when we come back, the show is going to be stronger in the long run. So we want to thank you guys for all of your love and support. We promise we're not going anywhere. We're just taking a break. Yeah. Making some changes. Coming back strong. It's not even going to be that long. I promise. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and the end of everything we've done here, over the if you'd nerd, like to eulogize us. head over to the THN Nerd Forums and post our obituary in the big news section. We are going to have a funeral. You're all invited. We want to hear you have say nice stuff. Joe and I will lay in the casket and we will judge your words. So it's like a practice funeral. It'll be great. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys. You could have given us help, but you've given us so much more. It's review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I nurse our turkey day hangovers while taking a hard look at a couple of this week's new comics. Matt's just suck down that raw egg and get us started. Oh, it doesn't do anything. (laughs) This week, I got it in a little over my head and read AD After Death, book one image written by Scott Snyder with art by Jeff Lemire. It is 72 damn pages. I did not know it was going to be 72 pages. I did not either for $5.99. Holy crap. That is a friggin' steal, though, okay? Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about an annual that came out for $4.99. Half as many pages in a little bit here. I've never been much of a fan of the prose novel accompanied by illustrations. And for a minute there, I thought that's what I was getting. On the surface, AD is set in a future where man has found a cure for death. Snyder's main character is Jonah Cook, a man that's begun to question his own immortality by examining his past and the role he played in stealing the cure for death. The book opens with a prose novel narrated by Cook with hauntingly beautiful watercolors by Lemire. Cook is recalling his first memory, which is a family vacation in modern Florida. At the time, his mother had been falling ill. His father was an out-of-work school teacher. It was not a happy time and actually a very dull vacation the flashback of this sad moment was a little slow to be honest but it did set up an important emotional undercurrent for the next chapter of the story because from there the story shifts violently back to a comic format with two men in a seemingly alien landscape being chased by what looks like giant single cell organisms one of them is our main character cook the story did take a little bit to get moving but once it flashes 825 years in the future where Jonah appears to be in his late 30s, early 40s. Lemire's strange and emotional art sets up this bizarre, timeless future with floating farm vehicles and characters dressing like 60s beatniks, driving around in classic pickup trucks. (laughs) The story flashes back and forth from Jonah's somewhat desolate future, where he worked outside of the city in these rural areas for 50 years at a time in different stations. We don't learn a whole lot of how the world works, but we know something is fundamentally flawed with it. There's some sort of zone of badness, right? There's like this. It seems like everything below a certain elevation. 
Yeah. They're li- definitely living in the mountains and they talk about the world below and they talk about listening for signals from the world below and how nothing has been heard there, heard from there. There's like this kind of time. cloud of it's not really explained, but there's right. there's this there's this area and they are monitoring it closely and things are changing within it and their there's, sounds are coming from it. It's, there's definitely a mystery yeah. going on here. And Jonah has put himself in a new station to explore what is happening down there. And he's flashing back to his old memories, which he sounds like they tend to lose. It sounds like as they get older, older memories just seem to disappear. And it seems like meeting people again and stuff like Like that. Like a tape that's being written over. Right. And I think the only reason he is having some of these flashbacks is because he found these tapes that he listens to that he recorded when he was very young of his mother and father shortly before his mother's death. Jeff Lemire is one of my favorite creators working in comics today and paired with Snyder's deeply emotional and an introspective story here after death is setting up an unpredictable mystery that plays out like one of my favorite sci like sci-fi epic films. Yeah. This is so interesting. It's not fast paced. It's a very simple story with a sci-fi twist, but they're playing on this loss of memory and this loss of emotion and using this old technology to relive something that the character lost when they cured death. And it sort of seems like he's leaning towards finding a way to kill everyone <laughs> because this isn't right. See, and- <laughs> I, I cannot give after death a bigger buy it. I like the format that they're doing it in these big 72 page chapters. Yeah, if I wonder you will. how long it is. Three books. Is it just three? It's going to be three books. So ultimately, instead of doing it as a monthly series, they're just releasing it in three chunks and then you'll probably get one big collected one. It's an interesting way to do it. And it reminds me a lot of um, um, Headlopper, for example. Oh, uh, Mimetic. Yeah, Mimetic was uh, another was one, one that did where that. they released in chunks like that. Yeah. It's a new way to do this. And it's a very cool story told by two amazing creators i'm really happy to see snyder working outside of superhero stuff for once all because he really is good there i'm giving this the biggest buy it i can possibly give yeah i loved it and i don't think it is a simple story i i think we don't have all of the story not the story but the premise yes i'm well but i don't even really understand the premise (laughs) yeah because it jumps around so much and you only get glimpses of the world and hints about what they're doing right you know that everybody's got a job and they all move from station to station doing this important work, but you don't know why. Right. Uh, you know that something's wrong in the world, but you don't know what. And you know that he knows something more than everybody else because of his involvement in what happened in the past. But we don't know what that is. Right. And if this were a um, if this were a different book by lesser creators, we would be complaining about right. it being unclear. And no motivation given to continue on. Why would we care? But Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire are so talented. And I think the extra length has uh, given them both the ability to present enough reason to care about Jonah and his and his past and his mission. Right. Even if we don't understand it all. Well, they really focused on the emotional aspect. And that emotional connection, like the taking the time to hit that emotional connection hard. Right. Is what enables us to say, okay, I don't know what the f- 
going on, but I definitely want to know. The story very much takes place. The beginning of the story very much takes place in what seems to be like modern day. Or like I like he's a kid. To me, it felt old, like late seventies, yeah, early eighties. Yeah, actually, oh, because, yeah, he, it definitely that was clunky tape recorder. Thing. Yeah, because he so said it was like early eighties. In nineteen eighty two, I was six years old. Yeah, is what he said. So it's nineteen eighty two when it starts. And yeah, and when you flash forward to the present day, and you've got these weird creatures, and you've got this dialogue that reveals that these people are living for decades and decades and decades right. and decades uh, without aging a day. You don't know how it's all connected, but I want to know. I desperately want to know. It's very much like Lost. It reminded me a lot of Lost. Yes, and I hope that it doesn't something end happened to like the characters. Lost. They're all in this place now. Here's some flashbacks to show you who they are. Yeah. But we're not really clear on where the story is going, and we didn't write an ending. So. Right. And <laughs> Snyder does. Snyder has been criticized a lot in the past for setting up these huge, compelling stories and then not being able to end them. We've seen it happen. On a strong note, I'm hoping this doesn't end that way, but right now, I am loving it. It's great. Yeah. It's a buy it from me. It's gorgeous. Joey, let's get into something even heavier yes. than this. Oh, with man. a gigantic... Gigantic premise. Hard hitting emotional stakes. Venom number one. <laughs> <laughs> Venom number one from Marvel Comics, written by Mike Costa with art by Gerardo Sandoval. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. The symbiote you know and love has returned to New York City. No more Agent of the Cosmos. No more Lethal Protector. It's time for a new Venom, and it's great to be bad. God. <laughs> As the solicit so eloquently put it, Venom is back, minus most of the stuff that made him interesting over the past several years. I haven't been reading Guardians of the Galaxies, so I have no idea if the fate of Flash Thompson has been revealed or if an explanation for his separation from the suit has been given. Writer Mike Casa wastes no time, though. The Venom symbiote is loose on Earth and looking for a host. Enter Lee Price, a disabled war vet, turned hired thug looking for his ticket to the big time to be fair i don't know if mike costa knows what happened to flash thompson either fair maybe "Ah, i'm just gonna leave that out what follows is a fairly generic scenario that i feel like i've read a thousand times the venom suit bonds with a bad guy grows teeth a tongue and muscles and proceeds to slaughter everything in the vicinity but then costa drops a narrative twist that i didn't see coming Something that seems to build on events in Guardians of the Galaxy and one that I don't think I've ever seen in a Venom story before. I'm not going to reveal it. Art-wise, I struggled a bit with Gerardo Sandoval's work. It has a very mid to late 90s X-book aesthetic. It's quite strong in parts. Dear Humberto Ramos, I love you. (laughs) For me, it was like, oh, Battle Chasers is still my favorite comic book of all time. Let me just copy it. But it gets bogged down in a sea of overly muscled guys stuffed into ridiculous trench coats. And while it may be a fine fit for a book like this, when it comes down to it, I'm just not a fan of this art style. Though I was expecting to hate Venom number one, I have to admit that Costa's script surprised me enough to come back at least for another issue or two to see where it leads. I'm not in love with the art, but the hook is enough for me. For now, I'm giving it a skim it. I'm not in love with the art. I didn't love the story. It was, it just felt so generic and it was complete with like tough guy walking away from an explosion in one part. Yes, like, absolutely. On. But, the twi- <laughs> but the twist with the character, I, mean, I guess the twist with the character is interesting enough, but maybe give me a character that's established or something where I could yeah, see maybe. that character doing that. 
I don't know anything about this new character other than he's tough and he was a bad guy and he walks right up to someone he doesn't even know who's offering a job and says, do you want me to murder somebody? And they're like, no, not murder. And he's like, okay, because I'll murder somebody if you want me to. You know, it was just... <laughs> really heavy handed. That's fair. That's all fair. Yeah. And like Matt Gargan makes an appearance in this for some reason. Uh, Cause Matt Gargan used to be Venom. Right. So, I mean, I don't know if he's just a red herring in this story or he's going to try and guide this kid or what. I don't know. I, I just not interested. And you know what? I don't think Venom needs its own book. I don't either. I, I don't I, at all. I think Venom's a perfectly good side character. I was fine with what he was doing in guardians of the galaxy. It was an interesting thing to do with flash Thompson giving him a new character that's a bad guy is making him do bad things i don't know i just don't care it it feels like a reset but not quite a reset and i don't need it i'm giving to leave it honestly i just don't care it feels like they're cheating you know what it feels like trying to have their cake and eat it too oh everybody wants scary venom back but it's not really scary venom it's scary dude you've never heard of come on that's not cheating man they're just they're trying something different. I, okay. It's not cheating. I just don't care. I just don't care. That's fair. That's fair. And that's why I'm giving it a skim it. And I'm not even enthusiastic about it, but I was just caught off guard. It's I'm sticking with a skim it just because I want to see what happens. Okay. That's but fine. I'm not, I'm not giving it more than a couple more issues. Blah. Guys are jerks. God, I know, right? Guys are the worst. So that is a skim it and a leave it for random number one and a double buy it for AD after death book one. Now it's time for you re-evilized symbiotes and immortal farmers to let us know what we got wrong about these comics. So head over to the THN forums. That's at thnforums.boards.net. And tell us what you thought of these two funny books. As you may have heard last time on the answer of the week, our dungeon master and THN comptroller, Willie Toots, was accidentally sucked into one of Joe's DIY time portals. So... Now, we have to fling ourselves into the time stream using the THN Retardus to rescue our buddy, because by Crom, we are not raising baby Conan. You understand me, Susan? Joe, grab that pile of funny books. Let's jump into the Retardus and go rescue Toots while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Donald Quest, number one from IDW. The Italian team that brought us Duck Avenger sets up another duck story in a parallel Disney steampunk universe, Feudarnia. Apparently Italy doesn't think Donald got a fair shake in American culture, so they've gone buck wild here with this completely bizarre sci-fi fantasy starring all your favorite ducks. Donald Quest is weird as hell and amazingly illustrated. Maybe this is where Disney cartoon comics need to go? I don't know, but I'm giving it a buy it. <laughs> it sounds like this is where they are. Hey, no, These are the Disney cartoon comics. But it's just Donald they're doing this with. Like, Mickey Mouse isn't in the Old West, you know, yeah, fighting vampires fair. or anything. Shoe number 60 from Image. John Lehman and Rob Guillory finally bring their long-running series to a close with an issue that makes you put down the comic and question what it was all for. Oh, really? No closure. No satisfying release, just a waste of time and effort. Really? On, I guess it's a joke or a punchline, it wasn't funny. It's almost as if they wrapped things up an issue too early, but were contractually obligated to limp the series to number 60. After all the time invested in this series and these characters, Chew number 60 feels like a slap in the face. Really? I... 
regardless of the quality of the actual issue, I was so mad that this is how they ended it. I'm giving it a leave it. Man, now I want to read the whole thing and finish it. Ultimates 2, number one from Marvel. Sort of, somewhere in the wake of Civil War number two, the Ultimates are no more, but an unlikely nemesis is about to get the band back together. I love Travel Foreman's art, but Dan Brown's colors are so out of control here, it is to the point of looking like some of the panels were Greg Land's airbrush photographs. I like this team and Al Ewing's writing, but Ultimates didn't sell well before, and I'm not sure what's changed other than the really weird art. Can we just give Al Ewing Fantastic Four, please? He would be great. I can only give this a skim it. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season 11, number one from Dark Horse. Buffy and the gang are back doing what they always do, and that may not be a great thing. The status quo of some of the characters is shifted ever so slightly, but it's hard not to feel like Dark Horse is treading water a bit with this property. Still, it's Buffy. Christos Gage and Rebecca Isaacs nail the tone and the look of the characters, and Isaacs' art overall is really great. It might be time to really shake up this franchise or just let it come to a conclusion, but it's still a pretty good time. Buffy Season 11 gets a strong skim it. I gave up on Buffy a while ago. I haven't read the last two seasons. I just yeah. kind of jumped in to see where okay. it was. All new X-Men Annual number one from Marvel. Two feature-length throwaway stories for the low price of $5. Finally, we get to see what happens when Idy goes on a date with some guy she meets at a mall in San Jose who just happens to be a mutant. And Danny Moonstar dealing with panic attacks. Of course, both stories feature M-Pox, the disease caused by the Terrigen Miss that seems all too easy for the X-Peeps to just cure. And I officially don't care about this all-new X-Men title, the time-displaced X-Men, or any of the new mutants that they have forced down our throats in this book. Other than maybe New Wolverine. She's still pretty cool. But leave it. Superpowers, number one from DC. Art Balthazar and Franco are back at DC doing what they do best as Superman and Wonder Woman fill in for a missing Batman. Great all-ages superhero action with wonderful art. What's not to love? These creators are the best there are at what they do. Superpowers number one is a buy And what they do isn't pretty. <laughs> it was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty. Masked number one from Titan. Titan reprints his French sci-fi epic that takes place in the near future where machines have begun to assemble themselves and attack people. An ex-soldier will be called to defend a fractured future France against a robot menace. The dialogue was a little translated at times, if you know what I mean, but the art was incredible. Kind of a cool story with a cool main character. Mass number one, it gets a buy it. Gage! Number two from Marvel. I was really excited for this 70s throwback series by Dexter's laboratory creator Gendy Tartakovsky and animator and amazing man artist Steven DeStefano. But after two issues, I still have no idea what Marvel was thinking when they greenlit this project. This issue is a bizarre fever dream of Basil Wolverton and psychedelic art inspired pinups as a drug Luke Cage is lost in a jungle being chased by bizarre catmen. That is what's going on here? <laughs> and bizarre really is the best word to describe the whole affair. The art has its moments, but really, I can't recommend this as anything other than a curiosity. Weird. Cage gets a skim it at best. Hellboy in the BPRD 1954, The Unreasoning Beast, number one from Dark Horse. That's easily got to be the longest title ever. Jesus. Right? Chris Roverson continues his tenure in the Magnoliaverse, and he brings a fresh voice to this very personal side story. Patrick Reynolds' art 
is much more realistic than the usual stable of quirky BPRD artists, but it's perfect for this story of a family and their monkey. The Unreasoning Beast is a small side story and a nice change from the earth-shattering apocalyptic visions running through the Mignolaverse. I'm giving it a buy. This is really cool. Merrick, number one, from Ward and Parker. <laughs> I met these guys. <laughs> Where the hell is Ward and Parker? I met these guys on Twitter and was immediately drawn to their series featuring the fictionalized account of Joseph, the elephant man Merrick, fighting the occult in Victorian England. No sh- Writer Tom Ward and artist Luke Parker wear their Magnola inspirations on their sleeve, and that's a good thing. This issue came out in 2014, and the team just wrapped up a successful Kickstarter to fund their second story arc. If you love Mike Magnola's Hellboy universe, and we know you you'll do. love this. Download this issue for free from their website. Link's going to be in the show notes. And get caught up in time for the new story. Merrick is an absolute buy it. That sounds cool. It's great. That is your ludicrous speed round, and whoosh is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of Idy throwing flame at some Trump bros that interrupted her date because something had to happen in that boring story. If you want even more reviews of this week's new comics, head over to twoheadednerd.com and check out the half-inhuman, half-mutant Aaron Myers ludicrous speed reviews. That's right. Mom was a mutant and dad was a inhuman mutant something or other all right pull so it out. he's got half mpox <laughs> and remember you can pick up these and all the rest of this week's new comics through our amazon button at twoheadednerd.com it is a great way to get your funny books and support the show that is not going away it's just taking a little break okay there we promise This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, Matt and I are sipping a lovely Calvados Maurice while we sweat off the mother of all Asgardian Thanksgiving dinners with our great big buddy, Volstag the Voluptuous. Yowza. Matt, pass the cigars and tell the kids about your must-read pick for next week. It's a fifth week, so it's kind of thin, but next week... That's okay. We don't have to do a show. That's right. <laughs> I'm excited for Savage, number one from Valiant, written by B. Claymore, with art by Clayton Henry. 40 pages for $3.99. That's how you do it, Valiant. He's your solicit. 15 years ago, the world's most famous soccer star and his former supermodel wife, pregnant with their unborn child disappeared without a trace the world believes they're dead but in reality their private jet crash landed on a mysterious unknown island ruled by prehistoric creatures from another time this is the story of how they lost their humanity savage is a brand new character in the valiant you it feels like this was their way to do turok without having to do turok yeah kind of i think so and that's fine i mean like turok has sort of wandered back into obscurity thanks to turok was never a violent of violent was never a valiant valuable, property no. it was licensed yeah turok has kind of wandered back into obscurity thanks to the good people at dynamite so <laughs> hey whatever i like b claymore i love clayton henry and i love the idea of these tarzan kazar type stories totally in can't wait joe patrick what are you reading next week next week I'm checking out New Talent Showcase One Shot from DC Comics, written by Vita Ayala and Various, with art by Barnaby Bagenda and Various. I'm getting a little sick of Various, to tell you the truth. Yeah, their work is getting really repetitive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's 80 pages for $7.99. Look. 
That's like $10 a page. AD <laughs> came out with 72 pages for six bucks with no ads. Yeah, none. Zero. Ah. Here's the solicit. In this new one shot, Wonder Woman unleashes her true God of War against a parade of monsters. Superman discovers a new thread that might be bigger and badder than the Joker himself. Hawkgirl solves crimes in the weird weapons unit for the GCPD. Carol Ferris and Kyle Rayner fight about ice cream in space. Depending on where you read that solicit, that sentence says Carol Danvers instead of Carol Ferris. And I was very confused. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You'll find all of this and so much more in New Talent Showcase number one, where recent graduate writers from the inaugural DC Talent Development Workshop. Oh, I forgot about that. Showcase some of their strongest work yet. See what they've learned from Masters of the Craft, Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, and Klaus Jansen. See what they learned from Masters of Craft. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this is the uh, the new talent from the DC Workshop getting their shot at some actual comics work. I'm excited to see what they have to offer. Yeah, it's so kind get of some fun. new blood. Hopefully, it's good. Hopefully, it's good. Yeah, it's like the Mighty Marvel tryout book. There you go. <laughs> the THN trade of the week next week goes to Copra Round Four from Bergen Street Press, written and illustrated by Michael Fifa. Michelle Fifa. 168 pages for 19.95. That's a pretty smoking deal. Here's your solicit. Copa round four marks the return of the world's favorite revenge team. The psychedelic suspense builds at fantastic speed while featuring enough bone crunching brutality to satisfy the most ardent hyper violent enthusiasts out there. Check off Copra's international kill list at the peak of their Mondo Bizarro bloodlust. Whoa. Is it supposed to be check out? Check off? I don't know. It, might, it must be supposed to be. Maybe. I don't know. I bet it's supposed to be check out. Either way, it's weird. Yeah. Just like Copra. Copra is an I love Amazing that book, man. Book. I, it's just, I kind of wish Michael Michel Fife could have had a better transition in mainstream comics. They gave him a couple shots at writing like some ultimate books. Didn't really work out. He, uh, yeah. I'd like to see him do, not that I don't like Copra, but I'd like to see him do something else. I don't care where. He anyway. deserves it. Yeah, he totally deserves it. The guy's very talented. Be sure to head over to our Facebook page and hit us with some links to comics that you think we should be reading. We'll check him out. Yeah. By Owen's Beard Volstag light up match, will you? Yeah, that is really bad. Oh, rank. Joey, let's play that. Take a look. It's in a book intro. One more beautiful time. And clear the table of all these leaflets because it's time to review a whole damn graphic novel. That's right, buddy. This month, we read Box Brown's History of Tetris. The games people play from first second books. We've read Box Brown in the past. Andre uh, the Giant, Life and Legend. Wonderful. My favorite graphic novel of that year. A graphic novel that brought tears to my eyes several times. Feels less like a graphic novel and more like an illustrated history text. It does. It starts off very much with the creator of Tetris and what he was doing working for uh, in the Soviet Union at the time. Ivan Drago. (laughs) <laughs> ivan drago yeah creator of tetris ivan drago. and from there it takes this brief sort of like look into his mind uh, when he starts discussing he's working for this uh, psychology department to develop an ai that can work as sort of like a psychologist because i can't think of anything more cold and soviet than a robot ai psychologist <laughs> why are you not happy <laughs> in the 80s especially but he was also developing a game. He's obsessed with games and the art puzzles. puzzles. Yeah, well, yeah. 
games specifically puzzle games and they are some of the most simple and that man ever created and we get this brief look into the history of competition where they kind of go into the main character's head and show us the history of human gaming if you will like starting yeah, with cavemen like all the way back in the day yeah yeah and it's it's really cool and i thought that's where the story was going with this flashback and this sort of history of gaming and how culture has evolved around the art and problem solving of games but then from there we jump out into basically a narrative of the legal story of what happened to Tetris. Yeah, right. And it's really cool because I remember when Tetris first hit and how it came out and they touch on the history of like Tengen games. I remember there was that bullshit other version. Yeah, there was Tengen, which was yeah. basically just a complete ripoff of whatever was popular at the time. They had uh, they had their own Tetris. They had a bunch of their own like Mario games and stuff. Tengen was essentially a Chinese ripoff of Nintendo. And they were making their own chips and they were co-opting their games. And Atari at the time was dying. And Atari, Tengen, and Nintendo were all claiming to have rights to Tetris. And nobody really knew who owned it. And the creator had created it for the Soviet Union, like working for their government. So the Soviet Union at that time had the Russia was the Soviet Union at the time and had no real business foundation built up for creators rights or anything. So no one really knew who was in charge of this. Tengen was actually a subsidiary of Atari. Sorry. The history of a lot of things like this weird little offshoot company that's making these almost bootleg games. Right. There's the history of Nintendo itself. The history of why, which I had no idea that's where uh, Nintendo you, came from. <laughs> like the weird bidding war. Yeah, they were like a trading card company yeah. or, or like a card game company. It's so many other topics that all kind of come together to tell the story of this guy, Alexi, that this good natured guy that just wants to play puzzles. Right. I mean, he was essentially just a good hearted computer and he nerd. He works artist. for the Soviet machine and he doesn't see a dime from it. And without the help of this American industrialist. Was it Hank? Hank. Hank. Yeah. Oh, it was Hank Rogers was his name. Sorry. Thank you. This American named Hank Rogers who booked a flight to Russia, walked into a government building. He didn't even know where he where yeah, to go. And basically said, I need to speak to whoever created this game so we can get the rights to sell it. There's a bunch of money here. And Russia was like, really? Yeah. And then the guy that was in charge of the office basically ran out of the office and wrote up a bunch of ridiculous contracts going, oh, well, OK. And, <laughs> and they had they had so many different contracts for so many different aspects of it. Right. Like, uh, the like, stand up version of the game, the handheld version of the game. Right. The and they were all split between the these various companies like Tengen did have rights for some of it, but it was proven to be like they they had that wrested away from them by Nintendo, which is a juggernaut. And it was essentially a the bumbling Soviet union who just kept going, uh, yeah, we can make some money on that and signing things without the creator getting any acknowledgement whatsoever. And if it wasn't for Hank Rogers who stumbled upon the creator at this, uh, development show, it was like an electronics development show in Las Vegas. This poor guy would have been forgotten forever. Yeah. I mean, this guy, <laughs> this guy has made, Lots of games. He's been making games his whole yeah, career. He ended up working for Microsoft uh, in the end. None of them are memorable. No. Certainly <laughs> most not of the, Tetris. Most memorable. of them are most of them are completely forgettable. And there was 
billions of dollars behind this that this guy never saw until later right when it became so successful that hank was able to move alexi and his partner to america where where they finally got paid and his partner did not have a happy ending. it did not go well but i'm not going to go into that actually i I remember hearing about that though the thing with the difference between this and andre the giant is box brown sort of told a mythological story of andre the giant based on the hearsay around him from some of his friends, right. from some stuff he's written down. This was more of expounding a very dramatic legal case, basically taking what could have been a very, very boring who owns the copyright of Tetris story and expounding upon that to show what was going on in popular culture in the eighties, what was going on in gaming and how Tetris single handedly changed video gaming as we understand it, it became an art. It became this huge business. Yeah. It became an international business and it reached past, you know, the iron curtain even and brought cultures together. <laughs> yeah. It was really amazing. Uh, what impressed me most about this graphic novel is how packed full of history it is. Not, and it's not just of the one right subject. It doesn't just stick to, the development of Tetris. Well, I think that's what box Brown does best. Yeah. I mean, really he, he's one of those creators that can do pretty much whatever he wants. And I think he's shown that. And I can't imagine sitting down with the notes for this and going, how am I going to tell this story? How am I going to put this together? And you know, it jumps around so much from the history of the history of games, like from the dawn of man, right. To, you know, the creation of these various different branches, the development of different boardrooms, handheld gaming from <laughs> yeah. this guy from Nintendo, different courtrooms, boardrooms, government buildings. <laughs> yeah. And it all just kind of blends together seamlessly. Yeah. And, and it really comes together in the end to ultimately tell the story of Alexi and how this game changed his life forever. Uh, and the dude is still living and happy and making games to this yeah. day. And yeah, ex- and now we get to recognize him for what he's done. There's definitely a movie here. Watch for it. <laughs> it's, it's coming. Yeah. I mean, this could have, uh, yeah, box Brown would not have done like a battleship style. No, <laughs> like no, probably not fictional adaptation of Tetris. But, but hell, if we can get a compelling like origin of Facebook, uh, this was way more interesting than that. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Yes. And I love video game history. I love video game history. When uh, the G4 network was still around, mm-hmm. uh, they used to air these half hour long video game history shows. And there were like 10 of them and they would just air them constantly during the day because it's cable and they have to fill the air with something. Right. And so it would be like stuff like uh, biographies on about Nolan Bushnell and all of these like video game pioneers that were just like old guys. Some of them were just old ass dudes. Yeah. Just tinkering around. Well, it's very similar to the history of comic books. Honestly, nobody, everybody knew Spider-Man and everybody knew, you know, Tetris, but not a lot of people know who Steve Ditko is or Hank Rogers or Lexi, whatever his last name was. And there's a really interesting history behind these nerds that created this stuff. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And it's not a traditional comic book or graphic novel in a comic book sense. It's not very narrative, though there there are instances of narrative yeah box brown isn't so much interested in the narrative as more of just like the greater story it is really a historical text with some narrative elements yeah you kind of just follow him as he 
pulls you through it. Yep. And his art is, you know, it's that very simple, uh, minimalist style. I would argue it's There's even some simpler splashes than of it color. has been. Right. I thought that it was um, because there was a lot more emphasis on shapes. If you notice that everything yeah. was. Yes. Blocky shapes. Yeah. And I think he almost did that with the characters too. Yeah, like a little bit simplifying them to So like everything becomes this giant puzzle. The story falls from the sky and fits together just like the Tetris pieces. Yeah. I mean, this is a buy it for me. I thought it was great. Box Brown's done it again. Um, this guy is proving to be one of the best graphic novelists we have here in the States. Absolutely. I can't wait to see what this guy does next and it's not going to surprise me. <laughs> I remember when we no. announced this. Yeah, one. right. Uh, exactly. Okay. <laughs> That is a huge buy it, an unfettered recommendation for Tetris, the games people play from first, second books. Get to your local comic shop or the Amazon link in the show notes at twoheadender.com and get your copy today. It's really wonderful. Hell of a Christmas present for your gamer nerd on your list. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Guys, that is it for THN episode 273, the last of the old-timey THN episodes. If you dig podcasts that get bullied off the air by the man, please stay tuned to hear how to subscribe to our new feed, the all-new, all-different THN coming sooner than you think. Don't unsubscribe because you're going to get that news here, okay? But not too soon because we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, no, sooner than you think. We want to send a gigantic thanks to all of our donors for sticking with us. We wouldn't be able to make any of these changes without you nerds. And if you want to continue to support the show, you can do so by clicking the PayPal button at twoitanerd.com. There's a box there that says make this donation monthly. You can check it if you want to become a sustaining donor. And remember, as little as a buck a month helps us out a lot. Keep your eyes peeled. We will be announcing the new Patreon system. It's going to be awesome. Uh, where we'll have the uh, donor rewards and whatnot. If you, when that is live, if you want to switch from PayPal to Patreon, you can. If you guys want to send us a sketch or just, you know, a funny drawing or just a hello, you can send it to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. We love your fan art, what you think Two-Headed Nerd looks like. And if you want to connect with us and stay informed on everything that's going to happen to the show, you're going to want to go to twoheadednerd.com where you're going to find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, and most importantly, the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. That is not going away. Will you even probably have a message on there about what's going on if you want to call and stay updated? It'll be like that old hotline that you could call for like a story from Santa or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they might be giant stylus on. We'll only charge you like $1.50 for the first minute and 99 cents for each additional Standard rate supply. <laughs> Check with your providers, see how much data it uses. Oh, before we go, mm. our weekly shout out goes to all of you listeners that have helped us get to this point. We would not be here without you. Joe and I don't even like each other anymore. We have separate limos that, fly, no. that drive us around, separate planes when we travel. And whether you've been listening since the beginning or just discovered THN, stick with us. We're coming back. We're going to be better than ever. We're going to do this the right way. We're going to take over the world. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might rat your show out to Michael Jackson's estate. <laughs> this is a two-headed nerd signing off for now. Have you ever even used Michael Jackson music on this show? Several times. <laughs> <laughs>
You can bet on this last hurrah. I'm just gonna pack it with everything. Don't, Fuck it, man. We don't want to get sued. Yeah, come at me, bro. <laughs> yeah.